Welcome to the Monocle Podcast. We are an independent management consulting firm, and in this podcast, we discuss our latest insights and opinions to help you achieve exceptional performance in banking and insurance together. I'm Guy Wilding, Monocle's research manager based in Johannesburg, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the UK's Dear CEO letter, specifically regarding the one released last year on the reliability of regulatory returns. Lots of R's there. Um, our guest today is Catherine Claxton, one of Monocle's senior executives, who's led various projects on risk data aggregation and reporting, BCBS 239, and now on the requirements set out in the Dear CEO letter. Catherine, uh, welcome to the podcast, and it's great to have you as a guest. Hi, Guy. Thank you so much for having me. Kath, first question. So right off the bat, can you explain to us uh, what a Dear CEO letter is, as well as kind of what was the reliability of regulatory returns letter um, all about? You know, it kind of sounds like something that if I was a CEO, I wouldn't really be that excited to see uh, in my inbox on a Monday morning. Uh, so, Guy, um, in October 2019, the PRA, or the Prudential Regulation Authority, published the DSCEO letter, and it is exactly that. It's a letter addressed to the CEOs of institutions, as well as their senior managers who fall under the senior managers and certification regime. The letter was published to the CEOs in October 2019, and it really stems from the PRA's response to recent market issues and errors picked up in the reporting process. I think what we can see from this is that the PRA is really taking a strong stance on all of these errors that have been picked up both in the public forum as well as through their own supervision of the returns themselves. In the letter, they set out what they expect institutions to evidence and to have in place. So they talk about things like comprehensive reviews, the effectiveness of governance and the controls. They ask institutions to deep dives into the accuracy of their regulatory returns. And then lastly, they ask institutions to have a methodology to identify and validate key interpretations and judgments as they relate to regulatory reporting. So that really sets out what they expect institutions to have in place. The scope of the DSCEO letter includes the full common reporting framework, uh, commonly known as CoREP reporting, but they've also introduced the PRA 110, which is a relatively new return, and the PRA 110 speaks to cash flow mismatch template. The last part of the letter, the PRA indicates that they're going to be introducing a Section 166 review. A Section 166 review speaks to a skilled person's review, and that's typically an independent review of a regulated firm conducted by your auditing firms, and it is really assurance on what the PRA is expecting these institutions to have in place. So, Kath, you know, we see in today's business world, a lot of people kind of explain data as the new oil um, or the new gold. And, you know, much like these things, data requires refinement, you know, in order to be reported on or to, to get insights out of. And this can often lead to a lot of inefficiencies and complexities, you know, especially with banks that are dealing with such a, a vast scale and granularity of data. What are some of the pain points that are impacting banks' data and their reporting? 
I think we see that quite often in these types of projects, and you'll find that institutions only realize the quantum of the complexity or the issues that exist once they start unpacking their reporting processes. So some of the pain points that exist is that reliance on historical workarounds and outdated, fragmented IT systems. I think that's one of the key themes that I've seen across various projects and across especially larger, older institutions. There's also the complexity and the scale of reporting. I mean, uh, risk reporting, financial reporting in itself is very complex um, and it is a lot of data. The more that banks are using data as an asset, you know, we're seeing the volumes and the quantum of data come through. So definitely the complexity and the scale ends up being a large pain point for the banks. And then also what we find is the underestimation of the effort to complete something like this. So to unpack your processes, to have and embed the correct data governance and controls, you know, speaking and and saying it out loud, it seems really easy, but, you know, it, it takes a long time to embed and to change the way that people do their current reporting. And then to sum all of that up, current resources who are doing their reporting and who do work in regulatory reporting, you know, they're very busy with that. Their capacity is often constrained. And so to put this on top of that, you know, they just don't have the time. And so things take longer and they maybe don't get done as well as the the regulator would have hoped. And by sending out a letter like this, like a direct communication, um, and also the nature of the letter that you that you were describing, it's it's obvious that the PRA is looking to see sort of a rapid improvement from banks and their responses to sort of supervisory requests from the PRA. How is it that banks should approach these requirements set out in the letter? So, Gar, we typically find, and the projects that I've been involved with, you'll you'll have two types of institutions. You'll have the one institution where they haven't had the opportunity or the capacity or the skilled person to be able to undertake such an initiative. And so having a project plan or an approach to meeting these requirements isn't in place. Secondly, you'll find an institution where they've started something, but they just haven't been able to either see it through to the end or they're just so close to completing, you know, they're, they're nearly there. So firstly, you'll have those two different types of institutions and your approach would be different depending on where you fell into that category. If you were a bank uh, that had not undertaken anything to date, I would strongly suggest that you start with a gap analysis. So understanding what is required and in the DSCEO letter, they are quite clear in what they expect and what they expect to have in place. And so that gap analysis, you can quickly see whether your controls or your frameworks um, whether your accuracy or completeness is in place and can you evidence that and then put together a scope so your co-rep returns and your PRA 110 would inform your scope and then project plan towards meeting those objectives. For banks where they have started along the journey, they're just really close, They maybe their resources are too constrained or they've just got fatigue uh, to meet compliance requirements. A company like Monocle Solutions, we know we have a lot of experience in this type of reporting. We can help you get over the line and essentially that's the last hurdle that you, you need to get to 
should a section 166 review happen in your institution? A lot of times we'll see with regulators putting out reporting instructions that there can be some ambiguity, some need for interpretation, you know, just because of how complex some of their requirements can be. How can firms make sure that their reporting meets the standard that's required, um, especially with reports that may not be very mature, like the PRA 110? What I would recommend is that firms should review and refresh all their documentation around their regulatory interpretations and judgments. Um, They definitely need to ensure they could stand up to any question around those. So so having an interpretation register or a library in place of how it affects the institution and how they've interpreted it, um, that would go a long way into how they should approach these requirements. And then lastly, with a new return like the PRA 110, they really should look at their implementation and their current status of that return. As it was specifically mentioned in the DRCEO letter, I would strongly recommend that institutions look at the maturity, the accuracy, the completeness, and the frequency of uh, getting that return out to the regulator. So we've discussed a lot about the DSCO letters, um, and obviously that's a, a UK-specific uh, concept. But you know, the reliability of reporting is a is a global concern. And you know, if we look at in South Africa, we've seen banks making a massive effort over the last few years to implement BCBS two three nine principles, um, and basically trying to accomplish or aim to accomplish three things: clarity, consistency, and uh, comparability of uh, reporting results. You can see a consultant came up with that because we we like our alliteration. Um, but how does the letter? Um, in the UK relate to BCBS 239 and the projects that that we've been involved in in South Africa? Um, So, Guy, BCBS obviously stands for the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision. Uh, The number 239 is just the number of the standard that they published. From that perspective, we can see that the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision is the primary global standard setter for prudential regulation of banks. And that really sets the scene globally. You would find in South Africa that the prudential authority would then issue a directive on what their expectations are around scope and timeline. And then it would be up to the local regulator to then meet with the institutions to gather evidence towards compliance. And they essentially become the gatekeeper for the in-country regulation. In the DSCEO case, where we find that this letter was published by the Bank of England and the PRA, that limits the, the scope essentially to the UK institutions and their reporting requirements. The co-rep returns also speak to that's a very UK-specific reporting scope. So from that perspective, that just shows where the publication was emanated from. If we look at BCBS 239 and the principles contained in that document, they're very similar to those contained in the DSCEO letter. And you could almost argue that the DSCEO letter would be BCBS 239 light. Um, BCBS 239 requires that we have overarching governance and infrastructure. 
data architecture and IT infrastructure is in place, and then our risk, risk data aggregation and reporting capabilities are in place. And those include things like accuracy, completeness, timeliness, adaptability, etc. Now, if we look back at the DSCEO letter, they made very similar mention to those key principles. So I think the two are not too dissimilar. I wouldn't necessarily separate them. The scope for inclusion for BCBS 239 spoke largely to your GSIBs, which is your global systemically important banks. Uh, the DSCEO letter does not make any mention of the size of the institution. And I know that in 2021, they would probably start the section 166 review on your larger institutions, but there is no guideline at the moment. So maybe just then to, to wrap it up, how I was saying that, you know, you, you shouldn't really separate BCBS 239 from the DSCEO letter. I think BCBS 239 is a global standard. The DSCEO letter brings the scope down to the UK regulator and their prudential authority. The regulators are really, really taking this seriously and non-compliance with these are going to have serious impacts even if they haven't been clearly defined or articulated as yet. Another thing we've noticed is that economies are still struggling with the coronavirus and the pandemics, and this has an impact on you know, multiple things, including reporting. Um, what do you see, or how, how do you see reporting changing in the short term? With things like the COVID pandemic, where there's been specifically a magnifying glass on things like liquidity reporting and whether firms are able to meet their liquidity requirements. We've also seen an increase in regulation around capital reporting and what needs to be in place. Next year, we have the, the revised capital requirements directive coming out. So all of these um, legislations and directives, we can see a huge focus on banking, how the banks do their risk reporting and their risk modeling and their ability to continue as a reputable institution. So at Monaco, um, we produced various insight papers on RPA, automated reporting, and recently open banking. You know, we kind of see these as trends that are pushing forward digital enterprise transformation. Uh, what do you see as being the reporting landscape uh, of the future, looking at these kind of trends, as well as projects we've seen from the Bank of England around digital regulatory reporting? So, Guy, in 2018, the Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA, and the Bank of England established the Digital Regulatory Reporting, or DRR, project. Now, the overall aim of this piece of work is to explore how technology could make it easier for firms to meet their regulatory reporting requirement, and then, by virtue of that, improve the quality of the information that they submit through to the regulator. Guy, part of the... DRR project, um, you know, would enable firms to digitally tag and identify their data according to agreed standards. Um, so your taxonomies and your data point modeling becomes very critical and usable to institutions once they've embedded that into their reporting processes. Secondly, to firms digitally tagging and identifying their data according to agreed standards with the regulator, what this project also hopes to achieve is that the mechanism in which data is submitted to the regulator is standardized. So what you often find is that 
institutions have systems that produce their regulatory returns and then the mechanism of submitting that return to the regulator is on a different platform and in a different coding language. So you'll have blocking validations that could arise where data is read incorrectly. What the DRR project also hopes to achieve is to standardize that so that data leaving the organization and being received by the regulator is consistent and standardized. Can you share with us some of the practical ways technology is going to be reshaping the reporting landscape? I think we've seen a huge uptick in the the phrase reg tech. So reg tech being your regulatory technology. And this is the use of information technology to enhance regulatory processes. I think what we'll find in the future is that the need for human judgment and manual intervention, you know, there'll be less of that. Um, However, I think that will probably take many years to materialize and it'll be a long journey before banks have fully automated and integrated systems and regulatory reporting. But I definitely see that's where the banks are working towards or where institutions are working towards. Kath, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, coming on the podcast and for sharing your insights. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Guy. I really enjoyed it. And for our listeners that would like to learn more about what we do at Monocle um, and how we assist our clients with their regulatory reporting and uh, data obstacles, we have produced various insight papers and case studies, one in particular on the Dear CEO letter we discussed today that can be found on our website. Similarly, you can find our contact details on the website for both our UK and South African practices. Kath, uh, thanks again. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Visit monocle.co.za or co.uk to subscribe for updates. From Johannesburg to London, Cape Town to Amsterdam, Monocle, we design change.